let me just welcome everyone to tonight's training. We are grateful to God for the opportunity to continue learning and strengthening one another. Let me, as a point of departure, say there is no greater work than what we are reading ourselves to continually to do. And that is of discipling the nations, of making disciples everywhere we go. And all other duties, works, and things that we do will fall flat in the light of what we would have done with the souls that God entrusted us with. So I would like for us to take time to pray and we will continue from there. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. And we thank you that you continually lead us to all that you want us to be and to do. And even for tonight, Lord, we want to thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will show us what is your will as we evangelize, as we want to meet the needs of people. And so, Lord, may your name be blessed. May your name be glorified. Lead us, give us clarity, even with the questions that will come. May we find answers that are from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the past few trainings, we've had uh, key topics covered around salvation and the gospel and the, the, the mission and the commission as given by the Lord Jesus Christ and that Mahi has done a sterling job you know, in, the, in that context to equip us how to share our testimony, how, we, how to share the gospel, how to answer what we need to answer. Tonight, what we want to uh, delve into is rather an extension of that. So the assumption is you understand the gospel, you understand how to share the gospel, you are not ashamed of the gospel. Now, what we want to look into is what do you then do as you meet the different needs of people? So tonight, we want to talk about uh, evangelism and generosity. Generosity renders itself to the application of social transformation, justice, poverty, eradications, and these are at a macro scale. But at a micro scale, you get into someone's house, people have needs, people ask for your help. What do you do in those contexts? So what I intend to do with tonight's session, uh, it's to rather cover some few aspects that I would like you to use for yourself as we have been doing in the different sessions in the church. We, we don't want you to be told you know, verbatim and in every area of your life, what to do. We want you to develop your own convictions. So tonight what we will do is lay out some general principles and applications. And when I say general, I don't mean humanistic. I mean, biblical principles that you would have to develop convictions around so that you will answer contextual questions for yourself as you 
come into those contexts. So we will talk about firstly the general principle of generosity. We will talk about the application of the gospel. And I would also want to cover the idea around how do we meet people's needs? Should we even be making it a big issue in case we, sh- we cannot? So I would like us to kick off by reading the essence of the gospel as it was explained and propounded upon so I would like us to go to the book of Luke chapter 4, which is where I want us to start. Luke chapter 4 from verse 18, Jesus is speaking, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to release the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So from the very onset, Jesus, as he introduces the mission that he has sent us to, he says, as the Father has sent me, so do I send you. So in what way was he sent? He firstly says, I was anointed to do what I'm doing. So it goes without saying that the the imperative of preaching the gospel starts not just with having the message, not just with the idea that you are convicted to preach the gospel, but it must also be a a, a, a guidance. It must be an empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Hence, Jesus said, we will receive power and the subsequent result of receiving the power and the Holy Spirit comes upon us that you will be my witnesses. So the tenant, therefore, is that as we go forward, as we preach the gospel, as we reach out to people, as we meet people's needs, we are not doing these things in the flesh. We are actually doing these things under the unction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that, by and large, will answer many questions in their context because there is really no one black cat fits all. So, but when we look at the nature of the gospel itself, he has said, to preach the gospel, and then with the preaching of the gospel comes the the, the societal transformation, the setting free of the captives, of the imprisoned, the acceptable year of the year of Jubilee, the, the release of people from death, and so on and so forth. So the gospel, therefore, is intended to be holistic in its emancipation of the human race. But it would be wrong for us to assume that such an application of holistic emancipation is a mandatory thing for every context, especially for those who have come to Christ. So we may have preached the gospel with a view of total emancipation, but depending on where people are and what they're experiencing, the Lord may lead or command different uh, things to happen, like the rich young man, sell everything, follow me, give to the poor and follow me, whilst others were being enriched, riches for him would have been an entrapment, while other for other people, you want to give them something, others you have to give them a different thing as opposed to what they ask, we will come to that later on. But having said that, the underlying thing is, number one, we have to look at our motivation. Our motivation 
is love. The Bible says Jesus, he looked at them with compassion. He looked at them and saw them that, that like a sheep without a shepherd. So compassion, it's really what should move us. So generally, you will see even as we talk about Jesus, that whilst the needs are there, needs are secondary to the attitude of our hearts. If the attitude of our heart is not compassion, rather it's pride, rather it's the desire to be seen as doing something. When we may have met the needs, we might stand, you know, indicted before God for doing things, not for his glory, but for our own pride and show off. So let's establish, we want to do a holistic approach and emancipation of the human being. People have all kinds of debates and I work with other people in other nations and I've seen some sad things where people almost completely deny the, the, the necessity to meet the physical needs with a, a they, they almost give an excuse to say the gospel was to be preached to the poor. The bread is a, is a, is a non-issue, but they're both issues. The issue is context. You know, the primary, primary factor is context, it's motivation, it's the leading of the spirit. So I am going to lay out of the many uh, principles of generosity. I just want to operate on just two, you know, um, I'll read one from the Old Testament you know, that we all know. The other one will will just go with it in the book of John. Um, so in Proverbs chapter 3, we, we've read this before. In Proverbs chapter 3, we want to, to start reading from verse 27. It says there in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. You know, it's rightful recipients when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go home and come back tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. So the Bible now tells us few important things. It says, do not withhold good, which means good is an aspect of what we're talking about. The gospel is the good news of emancipation. Someone is hungry. Someone is, is naked. Someone is facing a situation that in their own self, they can't deal with it on their self. Now, the Bible says, if it is in your power. So what is the first principle that I want us to look at? as we contextualize the application of generosity. One, it says, it is in your power to extend that good. So first and foremost, we must go with this asking ourselves in every context, is it in my power to meet this person's needs? Am I able? Number two, it says, do not say, come tomorrow, 
when you have it today. So there is also an aspect of having what is needed. So he says, you say you will give it tomorrow when you actually have it today. What are we, 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 we learning from this? We're learning that there is a reality in the fact that sometimes you can be asked what you do not have. Sometimes you can be asked what you have, but uh, are reluctant to give. So the Bible, the underlying principle is do not withhold if you have. What if I don't have? We will come to that. The other principle I want us to look at is in First John 3. We'll just skim through it. First John 3 in verse 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So now we are confronted with the same principles. It says, how can the love of God, which must be the motivation for what we do, the compassion. But then it also says, if anyone has... So there, there comes that issue of heavy. Remember, there's a question that we are leaving hanging. What if I don't have? It says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Therefore, love as it is manifested through as it says it has to be in, in truth. Now, these are both underlying principles. Action has to do with what you are going to give. Truth has to do with your... It's easy at this point to talk about motivation. That's also to talk about is wisdom, it's discernment. So let's go to the book of Acts. I'm just going through these portions of scripture so that we can be able to then say, what are we, where are we extracting the thinking? It says, I'm reading Acts chapter 3. Okay, it seems all the chapters are chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, it says, I'm reading from verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple court. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. So this guy had a particular need. And so he knew, at least from where he stood, he knew what he needed. So he asked for money, whatever he was going to do with money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. 
I want you to realize that there was an expectation. With the request came an expectation. Why was there such an expectation? These people were in a sense because of their religious or because of the fact that they were going into the temple just as much as when you would be going to preach the gospel. It was an experience. It was a convenient spot for the beggar to know that the people that are, are church people are likely to be moved by compassion easy. And so it would have been a convenient spot to, to, to beg. So the expectation is firstly that they are religious people. They are most likely going in with compassion. And the likelihood is, and this is on the back of a bet now, that the likelihood is that if they don't have, they will try and do something for me. So he, he, he's expecting to get something from them. Then Peter says, silver or gold, I do not have. So what is happening? He's addressing what he does not have. He doesn't at this point seek to say, uh, I will go and borrow it. He says, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. Now, this is a very pivotal uh, principle to try and work through. Firstly, what we are learning here is that the ability to give and our generosity is not restricted only to the material expectations of the people that are asking us. It goes beyond, it goes into what we think and understand in God as our ability to give. So he says, I can't give you money but I have something else to give. But the nature of what he gives is still emancipated. It's emancipator. He's still giving him freedom to be able to do other things. So in a sense, he's not just saying, okay, I don't have money, so be it. Uh, no, he's thinking, what else can I do? So let's go back to the idea that we are given a gospel of emancipation. Our primary responsibility in the gospel is the message itself. The message can be received. The message can be rejected. Question. Is the receiving of the message a prerequisite for giving the food? Obviously, the answer is no. If the needs are there, number one, what are the underlying principles? Do not withhold if it is in your power and if you have. But then we also need to talk about the wisdom that guides that. First and foremost, your ability to give is both physical and spiritual. It comes in many other forms, which means it's not always a giving that when somebody says, give me food, you already say, okay, we'll give you food. There's nothing wrong with trying to find out either through discernment by the spirit or by asking the, to contextualize to that what I'm giving, is it really helpful? Now, this is different from rationalization, which I had thought I'll cover later. 
but let me just go into it. There's a difference between wisdom and rationalization. Rationalization, it's when you use an excuse of a person's situation as you where now you perceive it not to give. In other words, if you sit there and you say, okay, if I give him something, uh, let's say, let's say you're, you're rationalized against giving them money, but you end up giving them nothing. You, you, you have not necessarily acted compassionately. will come to the application of wisdom in that context. Rationalization means you give yourself an excuse in this context not to give anyone. You find flaws either in them, either in their presentation or in their request. So you end up not giving, even if it was in your power. Now, the, the downside of rationalization, rationalizing away the needs of other people is that after you have rationalized it, it does not necessarily take the needs away. You might feel justified as you go away. And sometimes you might actually feel guilty for unduly so informing yourself against acting compassionate. Now, someone then asks a question. Does it mean that I always have to give? The answer is, no, you don't always have to give. Let's go back to what Jesus did in the book of John, in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, we, we read in there, I'm not going to read the whole story, but uh, we, 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 we come to a place where people are hungry, you know, let's take it from chapter 6, verse 1. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Now, let's analyze why they followed him. It starts with them following him because of the signs he had performed by healing the sick. The sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountain and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this, now I want you to hear verse 6. He asked this to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He was prepared to give. Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, spoke, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have people sit down. And as you know the story, they ate, they ate, and Jesus said they should gather the pieces and eventually they had 12 baskets filled. What principles did Jesus apply? One, I want you to be aware that in as much as it says he knew what he was going to do, he saw the need, and in this case, he 
also did something that is very interesting. He basically outsourced the the bread and the fish. And so then we go back to the earlier statement we made that you don't necessarily always have to give. You don't necessarily always have to borrow. Jesus, the Bible says, he knew what he was going to do. In other words, the decision to outsource the bread was in his heart. He was not coerced to say, okay, um, how are you going to feed them? Okay, let's borrow. No, in fact, it was in his ability both to outsource and to multiply, which means, number one, if when you don't have, don't borrow if it is not in your heart to outsource what it is needed. Is outsourcing wrong? No, it's right, provided it was. it is what it is in your heart and what you are moved to do. Later on, the same group comes, you know. And let's take it from verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered in it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into their boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus Christ. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are not looking for me, not because you saw the signs. Now remember, the earlier time, it says they followed him because they saw the signs. Now it says, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill, which means their motives these times were crooked. And so this is a very interesting aspect then where you, ha you, re you have to realize that wisdom is applicable. Jesus fed the 5,000, Jesus fed the 4,000, but in a context where he, he had evaluated and discovered that the the motives were adverse. He refused to give them the bread so much that, that they actually left him. And he went on to ask his disciples, why are you still here? So what does that mean? Let me go back to the point I was making. He did not rationalize their needs away. He analyzed their motives and found them to be wicked. And so his answer was a spot on no, which means we don't have to give out of guilt. We don't have to feel coerced. So wisdom still dictates that firstly, we establish what would be the best way to need to meet people's needs. Are we able to give as we have? Are we able to identify a greater emancipative provision for them? Are we led by the spirit to discern what we should give? Are we in a position to outsource what we, 
we need to give, have we, are we convicted that this is what we want to do? Now, having said all these things, I want us to go back to the story of the, the, the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan is the story about generosity and hypocrisy, about compassion and hypocrisy. The first people that passed the men that had been robbed and uh, beaten up, they were religious people. They were the priest and the Levite, which means in their mind, they did not see it as their business to meet the needs of that particular individual. In a similar manner, there are people who carry the attitude that says, it's not my business to help them. My business is to preach the gospel. Others simply say, um, they want to eat my, my bread, but at the same time, they don't want to hear the gospel. So in the context of Jesus Christ, you have to see how the two played the part. Not everyone who followed Jesus actually received the gospel, but he didn't make that an excuse until he established that their motives are wicked. So for some of us, we've gone to places where people have sought to dupe us and put us on a guilt trip. And it was wise and prudent to say no. And it was wise and prudent to establish the motive purely in our, because in our hearts, we were not convinced and convicted. We had a nagging feeling to say, there's something that is sinister here. So God is not saying to us, when you establish sinister motives, ignore them. That's how people have been duped. If you remember the story of the Gibeonites, for them to dupe the Israelites into a covenant with them, they came with dried bread, with torn clothes, like they were from far, and yet they were from nearby. That whole transaction worked for the Gibeonites, but put the Israelites at the back foot and against the wall. So the guilt stayed with the generations to come. And why am I raising this issue? I'm saying when we have to give, we can never move from a place of guilt. And when we don't have something to give, we don't, if we don't have a, an alternative to give, if we don't have a way of outsourcing what to give, we cannot go away with guilt. In a similar token, we cannot just ignore the needs because we, we feel the, the, the need to rationalize them away without establishing whether the motives are right or wrong. And so when it comes to the gospel, I want to try and lend it here. When it comes to preaching the gospel, we must be aware that the primary emancipation 
is from God. Our first responsibility is to point people to the source of all the good things that they will need. In the same breath, we must be aware that God uses human beings as channels to bless others. And the first of those channels is his children who understand his heart. Therefore, when we go to preach the gospel, we must make it a habit where possible to say, how holistic do I want to reach the people? You know, do I need to be carrying something with me? As you know, every time we go to the Great Lakes, we go to different, we try to take food and clothes and what and what. And that is to remind ourselves that God's way of loving everyone, his providential way, God's by providence, provides the sun, the rain to the sinner and the righteous. And therefore, our heart is when it comes to social justice and people's emancipation, we don't make it a prerequisite. We want to find other contextual, meaningful ways to say to people, God loves you and he cares about you. So let me just tell you a story that many of you have already heard. Um, but I think it's good for you to understand why we, we must always ask ourselves how holistic we want to emancipate people. In 2000, no, in 1997, we went to Lesotho for a mission and to cut the long story short, we preached after I preached, we were praying for someone, the Holy Spirit says, Give this woman the money that you have. I had around 140 rands, you know, and that included coins in my school bag. So I told her to come to the place where we were staying. I scraped all that I, I could. I gave her the money. She took the money and she cried for a long time. I was just taking her back. And after some, it, it was an old lady, you know, old lady who was, dressed in ragged blankets, you know. And after some time, she told me something that really made me cry after that. She said, um, I'm part of a particular church. They are born again. And he said, she said, they know my needs, they want. I had told God yesterday that he doesn't love me. How can I suffer like this? People only... I work for them, hard labor. They just give me food. And in four years, it is the first time I have my own money. And that's why I'm crying. But more importantly, God has answered me. It took children all the way from Johannesburg for God to tell me that he loves me. And so it left me said and convicted that I still had money in the bank, but we were far from the bank. But the truth was, here was a person to whom God's love could only be confirmed by 140 rands. And that is despite the fact that if we collected money, we could have probably given her 
more, you know, but I was dumbfounded. So my point is this. It's that let's us not suspicion run ahead of compassion. Would other err on the side of compassion than miss an opportunity for someone to know God's love, whether they were to receive the gospel or not, because God would have communicated in ways different to what we thought. Others, they had said they don't want the gospel. And as soon as we offered to pray for them and the child was healed, the, the father was healed, swollen, the same people who had said they don't want to listen to us, they were reached by our other form of generosity. So generosity must, to us, mean more than just what is perceivable in terms of their needs, but it also must mean that we have it in our heart to holistically uh, minister to people without losing wisdom and discernment and the leading of the Holy Spirit and without rationalizing away the need when our excuse is that we don't want to give. Our reality is that, Basalan, we are, we live in a hurting world. We live in a time when people are more selfish and people are more uh, they are lovers of money, but on the other extreme, I cannot promise you that you won't be duped. I've been duped many times. Um, but it doesn't bother me that I've been duped. Uh, what would have bothered me, and I'm not saying go and get yourself duped, is that it is easy to not meet other people's needs and in the same easiness we will still fail to be hospitable to um, angels as it were or we may still be in a place where we are failing to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven even more so, we might stand indicted before the Lord that I was hungry and you never fed me. And so whilst I am one who wants to establish and understand, someone asked me some money recently. I, I actually took them to task. I'm talking about this particular Sunday. And I, 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 I really interrogated the situation, you know. Needless to say, I gave them something, you know, but then they came up with another. And based on my experience, when the, the problem does not get solved and it gets multi-layered with needs, I, I suspect foul play. So I just said to the person, look, I think rather find help somewhere. And I had peace in my heart. And that's what I, I want you to be able to do, to say, before God, my conscience is clear. Thank you, sir. 
לזהן בעמדתך להגיע. יסה. Good evening, saints. Uh, based on what you say, Mahuti, I think something that comes to mind is that, you know, sometimes when one is uh, faced with people, you know, uh, that are going through stuff, I think we, we, should, we should gut against uh, trying to overcompensate or overextending ourselves to make promises that we cannot fulfill because that can also be hurting to uh, the mission that you are doing out there because people could say, yeah, but they are just like those that I've met before, you know, people, Christians, you know, they, 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 they want to make some promises that they cannot fulfill. So we really have to be careful that uh, when we meet people uh, out of compassion, we should not exert ourselves beyond what we can do, you know, because it can actually have the mission that we want to do. That's it. Okay. Yes. That's true. That's true. That's why I was saying Jesus knew what he was going to do. So don't go beyond what you are able to do. We've also seen those contexts where people were hurt, even when we're offering to help them. They basically were pessimistic based on their experiences of Bazelan who promised what they never fulfilled. So yes, let's not overextend ourselves and let's not promise what we cannot do. There is a question on the chat. Yes, um, I, I, I see it. Um, I think the, the most important thing, humility is both an ability to receive and to give without uh, yourself being superior. And how does that work? It's the fact that when people have needs, we, we are able to say, for instance, we hear, we share in the gospel, we, we want to pray with you. And just as a token of appreciation of help, allowing us to come into your home, we just want to leave this gift, this small gift of love. So, Superiority presents itself in the way, firstly, in your hard attitude. That's number one. If you know you are not trying to be superior, let your conscience be clear before God. That's number one. Number two, use tact when you speak to people. And tact is engulfed in respect. Like I say, we appreciate that you have allowed us to come into your home and we just really love to leave a gift of appreciation. And you see, when I say gift of appreciation, I'm not saying I see your need, therefore I think I should meet it, you know. And so how we phrase what we are presenting to them is as important as our inner attitude as we do it. I'm sure at that point, God will give you a different phrasing, but that's the, 
a basic approach, humble ourselves and not give an indication that I'm here, I see you don't have shoes, therefore I'll just give you shoes, you know. And where necessary, depending on the rapport that you have, um, you have established with the people, there's nothing wrong with asking. Sometimes we get into context, we've established a rapport, we see needs, we ask, we, we always find those contexts where you have to ask that, oh, I see the, the, the children playing outside and yeah. I was wondering, we have some shoes for children. Would it be okay if we just brought them for the kids? People generally would pick on your tone and your attitude as you speak to them. And we have not received a negative response. I think the bottom line is be clear in your attitude that you respect the people who are trying to help. So, Bazalan, we want to thank you for attending tonight's session and just thank the organizers for the session. What I really want you to hear, and I wish we could uh, amplify it in your heart, is that the world is hurting, the church is reluctant, and the two things, the two, the combination of the two can only lead to a devastated world. So what I'm appealing to us is let us be aware that the task of evangelism and discipling people is more urgent than ever. As you can see, people are dying all around us. It's more urgent but two, politicians don't give hope to people. The church can. And as I was just thinking recently, that since lockdown started, it would seem evangelism is locked down as well. But I do want to say God knew our context and he sent us into this context, knowing exactly what the case is. But he hasn't since not retracted or renegated from the mandate. So people have preached the gospel in the war zone, in socialist countries, communist countries, in Islamic countries, everywhere. You know? So I'm trying to say to us, we can never give an excuse of any sort for not preaching the gospel. And if the least we can do is try and emulate gift of the givers, then let's do it. If we can redo Salvation Army in our context, let's be the people that say, for our generation, we will serve it in every way possible to communicate that Jesus is love. God loves you. So I'd just like to pray for us as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
each and every person who has attended this session, each and every person who will ever see this session. I pray that you put it in their hearts that for God so loved that he gave. And that the eventuality of your giving is that no one should perish. So Lord, I pray that help us to remember that whilst our primary responsibility that we can never negate and set aside is to preach the gospel. Whether people die today of hunger or tomorrow, we should preach to them in whatever conditions they find themselves in. And that is our primary objective. That is our mission and mandate. Yet, Lord, in the same manner that we have forever at their place of need, may we not withhold the good when it is in our power to act. May we not send the naked, the hungry, the destitute away with a promise of tomorrow and say they should be blessed. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Bless each and everyone. Amen.